Grace and peace to each of you this morning. It's good to be back with the Pike. It's been six weeks since I shared a message here, but I can assure you I haven't been on vacation. I've had six other assignments between then and now that, um, well, in some ways it felt like I was doing more than my share, but it's it's nice to be back with the home congregation. There's a certain uh, restfulness and, and peace and just feeling at home with your own people that's good. 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, We having the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed, therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. We may not be inclined to really do a lot of talking. I think by nature I'm not really that type to, to want to speak. But, you know, when we have the, the truth of God and, and the revelation of God the Father, as we had discussed in our lesson, that flesh and blood hath not revealed this to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And out of that comes the declaration of our mouth and that we speak out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. It doesn't say out of the, the thoughts of two or three witnesses. So the encouragement is to let the, the word of God take root in our hearts, in our, in our souls and spirits, and then to to speak, even if we're not inclined to do that. It may help somebody. It's not just all about us. But let's think about maybe how we could could be of help to someone in our words. And um, I just thought, you know, how much of church life involves speaking and talking. And that's largely what we do when we, when we meet together. And... Uh, there's a verse also in Acts 15:32. It talks about Judas and Silas being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words. Maybe if, if you're inclined to have a, a spirit of prophecy on you, that's what you do. Uh, you talk a lot. Um, I was always kind of raised with the idea that you know you, you'd be swift to hear, slow to speak. But there are times we we speak and we encourage. And in that instance where they spoke many words to the brethren, it says they confirmed them. And that's, I believe, is one of our um, advantages. One of the things that, that happens as we meet together is, is we confirm each other. We kind of assure one another. We build one another, one another up in our faith. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And I see that, that not as a, as a formula, it is simply a principle of our life that we carry with us even after our initial confession of faith. Well, for our message this morning, I'd like to look at Matthew chapter 6. 
and read some, some words of Jesus here, beginning at verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, but taking thought, can add one cubit into his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now I noticed in these verses there's at least five times where reference is made to not taking thought, to not give thought. Do not be anxious, do not fret or worry. But for the main part of our focus this morning, I want to think of verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. And to focus on that word first. Now there's there's things presented here in which we may think, well, if we took this very literally, we would not do a thing. We would just sit back and let God take care of us. It says, give no thought to what you shall eat or what you shall drink. because of, of uh, examples then he gives to behold the fowls of the air. Now the, now the reason I know that God didn't want us to just to sit down and not do anything is because the fowls of the air, it says plainly that the Father feeds them. But yet they aren't just sitting around doing nothing. They are fulfilling their abilities. They fly. They are very active. And I believe the same is true with us. We, we take responsibility. There's things we do and we put ourselves into the work that we are able to do. And I thought too of, of this thing of, of what we wear. It says, give no thought Take, take no thought for your raiment. I think it means to 
worry about you know having sufficient clothing but in that I also saw where in reference to how we how we dress or or that this whole thing of, of what we wear it brings out the thing of the lilies and of the field how they grow and how the lilies of the field kind of dress up the world the grass the plain grass is arrayed by the beauty of the, of the lilies and I'm I discovered that there's a lot of variety to lilies. There's a, a lot of variety in the colors of lilies. So maybe that's just a, a little note to ourselves that we are different. We aren't necessarily all going to look the same. In God's creation, there is a lot of variety. So um, God clothes the grass with beautiful lilies. He adorns his creation. And we don't necessarily adorn ourselves for the, for the sake of drawing attention to ourselves, except in, in to the extent that that would point others to Jesus. I think there's things that we could apply there. But to seek first the kingdom of God, and Luke 12, 31 also says, but rather... Seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. So what does that mean, to seek first the kingdom of God? Well, you could, you could begin by some practical pointers. You could say this could include personal Bible study, reading, meditating, spending time in prayer, You know, often we get these concepts from Scripture to, to do a certain thing or an idea. And then we get a question from someone who, who an honest question, well, what does that mean? Um, you know, in, in real practical sense, sometimes there may be a struggle with what it means to seek and to follow the things we read in scripture. I'd like to talk about the importance of doing things in the right order a little bit because it says first, to seek first the kingdom of God. As a as somewhat um, self-appointed mechanic, I have taken things apart um, with varying degrees of success and putting them back together. But one thing I have learned is that when I'm taking something apart to make sure I put in the, in the order of which it's, it's coming apart, because it looks so easy when you're in the middle of it, and you think, oh, that's simple, I'll just put it back together, and I've discovered that it's not as simple when those parts are all loose. There's a... There's a um, an importance and when you reassemble something that it's done in the right order and likewise with building a thing or constructing something I've I had a friend help me build a piece of furniture knew a lot more about it than I did I thought I had some basic understanding of of 
how this was going to happen. But I discovered that, you know, most of the uh, expertise and a lot of the genius that's involved with doing a thing has to do with knowing the right order in which it's done. And the same is true with, with our lives when it comes to this thing of seeking first the kingdom of God. You know, in a sense, our humanity is, is broken. It's in disarray. And God is wanting to assemble that back together. To, to put that back together, the thing that is broken. He's wanting to reassemble our lives. And so it needs to be done in the right order. I see Matthew 6.33 not just as a, a formula for, for salvation or coming to God initially, but as a, a continual principle that guides us and, and keeps us in our lives, whether we're young or old. There is a certain sense in which we prosper when we apply this. Now there's different things with this verse that we could emphasize. We could emphasize the seeking. We could emphasize the first, the priority. We could emphasize what the kingdom is or what the righteousness is. Or we could talk about what, you know, all these things that shall be added. What is that? We could emphasize that. And, you know, depending on what part of a verse you focus on can make a difference as to the slant that, that it gives and, and even maybe the overall meaning of the verse. I, I saw an example where one time a fellow, he, uh, he showed like the verse, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And he showed how by emphasizing just one word, and he went through the whole verse. I can do all things. I can do all things. I can do all things. And he, he went through that whole verse, and each time he emphasized a certain word, it, it kind of changed the meaning of the verse. So that's the, that's the strength and the power of the word of God. In um, the next chapter, Matthew 7, verse, verse 7. I'll read verse 7 and 8. And I think this pertains to what it means to seek. He says here to ask and to knock. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. It's like verse 8 is just re-emphasizing what he, what he told us there in verse 7. And so I think this, this principle could as well apply to, to seeking first. And you ask, what does that mean? Well, it may mean asking. It may be inquiring of the Lord what that is. It may be a knocking that we do. To, um, to let God know we're there. To, to uh, knocking is a form of asking and, and pursuing the kingdom. 
Now, verse 7 and 8, it seems like there's an element to that that, that sounds too good to be true. Is this really? I mean, you just ask and you receive. And I think we, we tend to, we would tend to qualify that, those, that statement by saying, well, that, that's only true if so-and-so. You know, that's only true if it's God's will. That's only true if it's something that he has shown us to ask for. And I don't know where all of that starts and stops, but I see it as an invitation and an opportunity to um, press into the provision of God. And he is prompting us to do that in what he tells us here. And I see a, um, a big part of it is just the partnership that we have with God. We have an interactive role with God in order to make this happen. I think that is uh, where he wants to be able to show the outworking of his power to us in the fact that we are cooperating with him. We are participating in the asking and in the pursuing of God. There's a song we sing sometimes that says, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he was be, he must be, he's still working on me. Well, that's, that's true. I mean, God does work on us. But that song almost makes it sound like I'm just, I'm just sitting here. I don't really have anything to do with it. I'm just waiting for it to happen. If, if it happens, good. If it doesn't, well, I'm just going to wait some more. And so maybe if there's a delay in what God is being able to work and, and um, we aren't seeing maybe the progress we want, maybe it has something to do with our asking and with our seeking. You know, it, it took him a week to make the creation. So, it, in other words, it didn't take long. It, it just happened. He did all those things. But that's because, uh, you know, lifeless objects, inanimate objects, God's creation, you know, if he says to do a certain thing, it, it cannot rebel. It, it cannot resist. But when he speaks to man, to the spirit of man, and to our will and emotions and our, um, you know, our, we, we can say no. And so maybe that's part of the delay, part of the factor in, in what God is able to do. You know, there is a sense in which sometimes we have to, to uh, take our hands off the wheel and we say, Jesus, take the wheel. We're in a, at a place where we don't know what to do. And in that sense, then, yes, we believe that, that God is going to, to uh, work on us and show us some things. The, uh, the psalm, I think it's Psalm 46, says to be still and know that I am God. I've, I've read that 
the, the meaning of that word, to be still, means to take your hands off the wheel, to just let go. And there are times we do that in the uncertainties of life. Other times we are called to press in. We are called to be bold and to do what we know should be done. There's a, um, an example in the Old Testament. I invite you to, to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. Old Testament contains, I think, many stories, events, and parallels that, that teach us New Testament concepts that I think are very valuable. Concepts that may be hard to understand or, you know, hard to explain to other people. But as we study the Old Testament, I really like the stories of the Old Testament, not just because they're interesting or the events themselves, but because they have parallels. They, have, they are an example and an allegory oftentimes of our own lives. But in verses 1 to 4 here, it says, Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Now, this was a situation where the Lord was bringing famine on the land, I think largely because of the sins, the sins of Omri and his son Ahab in the previous chapter. There was a drought, there was a famine But God had a righteous man, Elijah, that he used to speak to, to prophesy concerning, you know, why this was and to even make it happen. The famine that God brought was because Elijah prayed. We read of that in, in um, I think it's the book of James, where he prayed earnestly and it didn't rain and then after that season had ended, he prayed again, and, and it brought forth. The drought was over. But in this sense here now, we have a drought where, you know, like the rain, it falls on the just and the unjust. Here the drought is also falling on the just and the unjust. But God has a remedy, he says to Elijah, to go and to to hide himself. I believe he was hiding from Ahab. But I believe the hiding also had to do with, with just provision. Hide yourself. Um, find the secret place of the Most High. In that sense. By the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. It shall be that thou shalt drink of that brook. And God had, had set up a provision there in the midst of that famine. 
and he commanded the ravens to feed him. Supernatural provision. So we may experience a measure of that or where we sense that God has provided for our needs. I think we all, we all do. But I notice also in this chapter, in verse 7, it says, It came to pass after a, after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And so that previous provision, it, it kind of, it became um, it became diminished. You know, a circumstance may change in our lives, even even though it had a, a providential origin, even though God had His hand in it and He established that initially. Um, changes do come. We have to to um, experience. Sometimes decision-making. What, what are we going to do? And I think in this context, the example is that are we hearing the word of the Lord? Is the, is the word of the Lord able to get to, through to us as we see in verse 8? It says, The word of the Lord came again unto him, saying, It came unto him again. And so just because we've heard God's voice, Let's don't just say, okay, I've heard the voice of God, but let's continue to hear his voice. There may be direction he would give us. Verse 9 says, Arise, get, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. I see a number of things just in that verse. It, it says to do this and, and to dwell there. You think that idea of, of dwelling. It's a state of, of where we feel safe. You know, in a sense, we, we are abiding. I think for God's people, he provides that for us. There's peace and contentment, a sense of feeling at home when we're in the will of the Lord. He also says, I've commanded. I have commanded a past, a previous arrangement, you could say, by the hand of God. He also had said that concerning the ravens. You know, when God speaks to us, a lot of times it's, it's from his standpoint a thing that he has already established to be able to happen. And the other concept that I see here is this widow woman was there to sustain, to sustain him. And in that we have a, a sense of being able to continue in the provision of God, under his divine commandments, under his divine arrangements. So does, you know, does any of that apply to our 
to our Christianity today as, as people of God? Do you sense the provisions of God in your life? I thought of a, an example in nature that, that I think is, um, may well reflect the provision of God through the church. In Revelation 1, verse uh, 16, where it talks about he that, he, he that had in his right hand seven stars. Maybe I'll read that to get it right. Revelation 1, verse 16. It said, He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a, a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shining in his strength. We believe that to be Jesus, I think. And that, you know, it, um, the seven stars. And it goes on to, to talk about that some more in verse 20. It, it talks about the mystery of the seven stars. And it, it finally brings this out to where it, it's referring to the seven churches. Now, I don't know if, if um, you know, I think the number seven has a lot to do with completeness, perfection, that that was um, in the in those cultures in that time. That's what that communicated. So, in, in the full interpretation and application of the number seven, I think you could say um, it's talking about perfection, completeness. And he's standing there. Um, he's standing there with these seven stars in his right hand. So that's what I get a picture of. And as it applies to nature, I thought of something. You know, in our skies, we have what we call the North Star. And, one, you know, one of the characteristics of the North Star is that it remains pretty much in the same position in the sky relative to the other stars. Now, if you ever see a, a time lapse of of uh, a night sky, the stars move, they rotate, and they rotate around the North Star. So you have, in that time lapse, you would see like a blur, except for that one North Star. So let's just say the North Star represents Jesus. Now, how do you find the North Star? Um, most of you, if you've been taught how to do this, you'll remember that they usually tell you the way to find the North Star is, is to find the, the Big Dipper in the sky. This is a group of stars that is fairly easy to find. It's fairly close to the, to the North Star. But the front two stars of that Dipper serve as pointers to the North Star. If you make an imaginary line in your, uh, that's one way to find the North Star, and I've done that, you probably have too. But do you know how many stars make up the Big Dipper? 
That's correct. Seven stars make up the Big Dipper. And so I thought of that as relates to the church. Is it possible that God put those, um, that group of stars in the night sky to illustrate the seven churches of Revelation, holding their place, moving around that north star, pointing to the north star, to Jesus. Then think, too, of the, the Big Dipper itself. What, is, what does it represent? In my mind, the, the Big Dipper kind of represents something you would have in your kitchen, something to carry to, to transfer something. And usually that would be food, something we enjoy, something that's good, desirable, nourishing. And so I just thought of that. Um, maybe God was, was saying that the church, represented by the Big Dipper, is to provide. It is to give nourishment. Now there's one other thing about that arrangement of stars, and, and that is the North Star makes up a, another group of stars called the Little Dipper. It is the very end of the Little Dipper, and the, the, arranged, the way that's arranged in the sky, if, if the Big Dipper was laying flat, that, that other Dipper made up of the North Star, the, 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 um, the angle of that Little Dipper would be such that it would be pouring its contents into the Big Dipper. It also has seven stars. But, you know, I just see some of that arrangement in the sky and wonder if, if God is maybe to, to communicating something to where he's pouring out the blessings of heaven on his church. It's just interesting to think about. I don't know if you have, your imagination is in, inclined to, to go in those directions or not. But I might just um, say another thing here about the story of Elijah. He, um, he dwells with this widow woman and some good things happen there. He asked her for a little water. He asked her for a morsel of bread. And of course it's a very difficult time in the land. And it seems a little bit unreasonable. Now she follows through with this. And I believe it's because of verse 12. She said, as the Lord thy God liveth. She recognized the presence and the spirit of God on Elijah. She said, I have not these things. And the little that I did have, I was going to do a, a certain thing with it and, and help my situation. But really that is not the solution because after that we have nothing left to look forward to but to die. And, and Elijah says unto her, you know, fear not, fear not. 
That's the first thing he says to her. A little bit like the Lord telling us to take no thought. Do not worry. In fact, go and do as you have said, but make me therefore a little cake first. See that? Seek first the kingdom of God and bring it unto me and after make for thee and for thy son. Now why did, why did um, Elijah see fit to just to be a little bit obtuse in that way to even unreasonable or impossible you could say but I think it's, it's simply to reflect it's to reflect a thing and that is God wants us to give him first and because I believe Elijah was, was typifying how God works with us and asked of us to seek first the kingdom of God. But Elijah doesn't leave her hanging. He gives her a command. And then he says in verse 14, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel. He prophesies. He says, The barrel of meat of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And so I see in that a sense that we have a command. We also have a prophecy. We have a promise given to us. That the Lord our God will sustain her. Will sustain us. I see that as, as a, uh, an encouragement to allow our, our lives to follow that pattern of giving first to God, to seek his face first, to seek his glory, to seek his presence. He's saying, let me be your first love. And I think of that in, in what we ask for and how Solomon asked for the things he did. When God offered him that opportunity, he chose the right thing. And God said, because you did not choose so and so because you do not choose the life of your enemy or riches and honor and all that he said I'm going to give that to you as well because you began with choosing the right thing and Solomon asked for that because of the task that was before him if you read that account he went through it and said because of these people and because of, of my smallness, he sensed the largeness of the task before him. And in, it's no different in our day. You know, the, the road that lies ahead of us is, um, is best met with divine provision, not our own provision. There is a certain amount of... Um, supernatural favor that is upon us when we seek first the kingdom of God and to rest our faith in the living God. I might read one more verse from Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5, verse 4. For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, 
Seek ye me, and ye shall live. Again in verse 6, Seek the Lord, and ye shall live. Lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel. Verse 8, Seek him that maketh the seven stars, and Orion, and turneth the shadow of death into the morning, and calleth the day dark with night, and calleth for the waters of the sea, and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. There you have the seven stars listed again. So I'd like to just uh, encourage us to seek first the kingdom of God. There is an order to how you do this, and, and the order is important. It's not that he's excluding us from some of these blessings. He says, in fact, I will add these things to you. I will add them unto you. He will clothe us. He will provide. I trust that's our assurance and our confidence.